insight, innovation, transformation. Welcome to the Change Healthcare Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of our podcast around value-based care innovation with payers, providers, and tech collaborating to drive outcomes. And again, I'm joined by my colleagues from Cognizant, Jennifer Mann and Kyle Croning, who in part one shared a lot of their experience around using technology and analytics, and in particular using Prometheus and some of the content around episodes of care to drive program planning, contracting, good insights that help us create and sustain really strong value-based care models. Now, in our, our last conversation, we talked a lot about what we've been doing and what we are doing. And as we think about opportunities for innovation and kind of where the industry is going, where policy and, and progress operationally is trending, you know, wanted to, uh, to talk with Jen and Kyle today about their view towards the future and kind of where things are going and how they're working to, to help the industry get there. So Jennifer, I wanted to start with you if we can. I know there's been discussion for a long time about the concept of retrospective versus prospective payment models, bundles and otherwise. And in particular, it seems like we're really beginning to see a, a strong shift towards the prospective payment models. So we'd love to hear about some of your experience supporting both types of models, but in particular kind of driving innovation on the prospective side. Thanks, Summer. Happy to. In fact, five years ago, I can't tell you how many times I heard at an industry conference that retrospective was the way to go and, and no one was doing prospective payments within episodic care. Um, I'm happy to tell you that that's not where the market has gone. Um, I do believe each payment methodology and has its place and use case. For example, retrospective, I always view as a great learning environment. If you have a provider that's adverse to risk, they're very unsure of accepting full prospective payments up front for their episodic contracts. This is a fantastic way to allow them to be comfortable with what is required um, in order to manage that care really in a more concierge level of a touch point than they would normally have with their patients. For example, a hospital was never concerned about what happened after discharge, right? That wasn't their part of the care delivery model. They, they weren't involved. They had no ability to affect change um, with what happened, whether it was the skilled nursing facility or home health care. Um, but if they accept risk of this type of contract for the entire episode, they then are must have the resources in place to coordinate that care and monitor it. Um, so it really is a change and a shift in the industry uh, to be responsible for an entire medical event and not just your small uh, piece of, of your scope of care. So I think that retrospective is a great uh, training environment. I can say that I've seen some tremendous and remarkable results by the move to prospective because you're then placing the onus on the conductor, the provider accepting risk, at the beginning to make changes and to monitor and to track the effectiveness of those changes real time because they're managing to a specific budget of money and they're at risk for any overages. So they have to be very, very attentive uh, to what care is being delivered and how that care is being coordinated and they have to set up that infrastructure. So if you're setting up nurse navigators and 
and a, a care delivery infrastructure to monitor that patient through the course of the entire episode, um, perspective seems to be the driving force to make that, that very successful. Um, retrospective, I don't know what I had for lunch last week, and I think that's the hardest part of retrospective, right? If you look six to nine months in the rearview member and mirror, it's really hard to determine what specific change resulted in the best improvement in the care and the care outcomes because you're making many changes simultaneously. It's very difficult to pinpoint um, which changes were very successful, which is which ones did really not have the impact that, that they thought they were going to have. So um, in that regard, I'm probably more on the prospective team. Our solution handles either one simultaneously using the same product. So for our purposes and the solution we give to our clients, you can deploy retrospective and prospective simultaneously. Um, but it really, I think, boils down to the providers, their adversity to risk or their acceptance of risk and how quickly they're willing to build that infrastructure of care coordination and, and management um, to be able to really um, control their risk and to make sure that they're being successful in their program. All of that requires data. It all comes back to data. It all comes back to familiarity with what's included in an episode and what care has to be managed. And that, that's where Prometheus definitely um, provides that consistent episode definition and obviously the data that's generated and looking at the, the claims for that patient is where those providers can make those key decisions on whether their program and their their actions are being successful or if they're not yet moving the needle in the direction that they want to go. Kyle, anything you want to add to that? You absolutely nailed it. I would just be retreading oh. a road that we've already <laughs> gone down. So <laughs> I think I think you said it very nicely. Oh, thanks. It's a, it's a big discussion. It's one that goes back and forth. I, I think the right answer is both are viable in this industry, and it really just depends on the market, the provider, um, and the maturity of the program. Um, there is definitely that shift from retrospective to prospective. Some get there sooner rather than later. Um, I've had some payers I've seen in the market have gone retrospective for three to five years before taking that leap over to prospective. I've seen other payers that went out the gate with the first contract prospective. So um, it's certainly all over the spectrum, and I think it's important to uh, foster an environment to have both methodologies live uh, in a program. Definitely Back depends on uh, definitely depends on the comfort level, uh, Jen. Absolutely, and just something that you you touched on with retrospective as a learning ground, and that's something that uh, we push or not really push, but we have discussions with our clients about summer is using retrospective as a means to take that first step, first step, right? You want to crawl, walk, run is the mantra that Jen has ingrained into my, <laughs> into my head. Now I use it way more than I should, but that's exactly what we want them to do using retrospective to crawl and then to walk and work out those kinks, work out the, the full, you know, end to end uh, care from the beginning of an episode of care, you know, whether it's a hip or knee and having initial, uh, you know, evaluation appointments all the way through the procedure to recovery, to discharge, to therapy, and any additional care that's needed thereafter, being able to start slow with, with a retrospective and get comfortable, get familiar, but also get your provider comfortable, get your provider staff comfortable, get making sure you have all the key resources in place 
having that team in place is absolutely huge and making sure they're all on the same page um, prior to, you know, ramping up and maybe doing additional retrospectives or moving into uh, the prospective uh, approach to it all to really see um, the bigger benefits. Yep, and you know, as you both mentioned, risk is it's risky, right? It's, it's scary to, uh, to think about taking on more risk and making that transition. And as you just mentioned, Kyle, having a, a data-driven transition from retrospective to prospective really gives you a much better chance of success. And I, I'm curious, Kyle, you know, in your experience, as, as you both kind of helped customers make that transition, what are some of the indicators that you see in the data that say that somebody, a health plan or a provider, is ready to make that transition? And what are some of the, the pitfalls you've seen over the years in, uh, in folks that try to make that transition and, and maybe don't do it in the best way or, or maybe didn't do it in the most data-driven way and, and unfortunately paid for it in the process? I think one of the... Okay, oh, sure. I'll really quick, I'll just say one of the couple, a couple sure. of the key indicators, you know, just to kick it off uh, from what we've seen in real time over the last couple of years that uh, some of our clients who've moved from retrospective to prospective have focused on are things like uh, readmissions and, you know, your, your potentially avoidable complications. You know, those are focusing on the patient outcomes and, as well as you know, the efficiency of uh, the provider and their care team are definitely metrics that are, are being closely followed and look at, looked at uh, and that helps them make that immediate jump from retrospective to prospective. But I'm sure Jen will, I don't want to steal her thunder, so I'll, I'll throw it back to Jen to uh, flesh this out a little bit further. Kyle, thanks. That's fine. Um, I think that what we have seen that's so very interesting is, the first pilot that a payer typically launches um, is very simplistic in its construct, right? A, a couple of codes triggering, you know, the, the services, and, and they've been able to accomplish it retrospectively through their claim system because it's mostly an analytics exercise, right? You're analyzing the data after the claim has been paid, and you're using a, a very clear, defined set of, of codes, procedure codes for surgery, um, but when they start to transfer over to prospective, it's an entirely different ballgame. And that's where I think Prometheus episode definitions are very effective because you're taking the full complement of the episode. You're just not trying to force a, an episodic type contract through a transactional claim system. You really are looking at it from all services that could possibly uh, be relevant to that episode of care and also you know, just taking a very wider view of it. So it is a hard transition to go from a an analyst analytic type analysis of retrospective over to prospective because now you're live and you're you're affecting claims payment real time. And then other situations operationally come up as to member out of pocket amounts and what do you do with benefit limits and pre authorization requirements and Everything else that folds into real-time claims adjudication has to be reevaluated. And, you know, I, I have to say some clients will take a, a harder line on that than, than others by, you know, if you impose a benefit limit of, say, 20 home health visits a year and you're paying the doctor prospectively, isn't it okay for them to 
to cover the cost of another 10 visits if that keeps the patient out of the hospital and stops them from falling and stops them from being a readmission or a revision surgery. So it's, it's really um, perspective opens up all of that uh, evaluation of what they do on a day-to-day basis to administer benefits and pay claims. So um, it is a mindset change. It is sometimes a change in benefit number out-of-pocket amounts. And um, you have to, in my opinion, open up the possibility for providers to Imagine care being delivered differently. Uh, This is pre-COVID, so telehealth wasn't as um, popular as it is after COVID. But, you know, you've got to open up the ability for the provider to say, do I need to see the patient in in my office or should I just do a telehealth visit? Because I'm getting paid the same amount either way. I'm getting the bundled payment. And so is it really in the best interest of the client to, uh, be ambulatory at this stage post-op and to travel 30, 45 minutes to see me in the office for me to give them a thumbs up. Um, can you? Can I deliver this care more efficiently and in a different environment, a different setting? And, and that's what you want to foster is those type of evaluations from the provider community of how can I deliver care more efficiently? And so you you can't constrain them to the point of, Oh, you're only allowed 20 home health visits per year when maybe it's 50, you know it's 25 that's the magic number um, to prevent a readmission. So um, it does open up a lot of conversation, and I think it's critical, as Kyla touched on, to put the right team in place at a health plan to make those decisions. You have to have that champion of innovation and. Uh, be able to say that this is an entirely different payment methodology. This is an entirely different way of looking at care delivery and how can we do it better? It's not how do I make an episodic contract walk and talk like a fee-for-service. It's not fee-for-service any longer. So I think that's part of all the conversations that are wrapped into going prospective. So it's a huge leap. (laughs) And, and, the reward is definitely there if you take that leap of faith and, and restructure um, how you look at care delivery because um, what we've seen is just tremendous, uh, remarkable changes and in, in lower admissions and lower complications and lower medical costs. Um, with increased quality metrics, we've just, it's been dramatic what we've seen from clients that have gone retrospective to prospective, but they're all that work in the middle. Um, to make sure operationally it can be handled. And taking the episode definition challenge out of the mix, I think, is is also helpful to them because they can just rely on that piece with Prometheus, just as they rely on our solution for automation. They have all these other problems to solve. So as much as we can automate or standardize for health payers in the, in the country, the better, because then they can tackle all of these other changes that are, are shifts in how they do their day-to-day business. You're listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. Insight, innovation, transformation. Learn more at changehealthcare.com. You know, Jen, you touched on a really important point there, and I'm, I'm glad you did, you know, around the idea of standardization and sort of using a a core set of standards. I know you mentioned even earlier in our conversation, you know, the idea that a number of health plans initially rolled out sort of custom programs, custom definitions, 
And as you mentioned, that that becomes a challenge, you know, both when you try to to scale those programs, but also from a provider perspective when you're trying to build trust. You know, where did this program come from? What do these definitions mean? And I, I think, you know, we've seen the same thing uh, change with some of the health plans that we work with. They really value that idea that Prometheus is standardized. It's vetted through a number of different industry channels and industry partners. It's something that everybody can feel comfortable relying on. It's reproducible. It's standardized. But as you referenced, too, it's it's flexible. It's not rigid to where, you know, you must follow these definitions and you must do it this way. There is a, a core set of, you know, codes, principles, methodologies that really represent that standardized infrastructure, that standardized core that then makes it easy to pivot and be nimble and flexible and be innovative um, off of that core. I think it gives everybody a chance to feel like they've got a a mostly standardized program, but that's flexible enough and adaptable enough to meet the needs of the program they want to put together. And I, I know at Cognizant, you're one of our certified partners for Prometheus, which we're really excited and happy to have you on. And, um, you know, one of the key things, we've talked a lot about the definitions, the content, being standardized within Prometheus, but, you know, as as you both know really well, it's important to also apply those criteria in the same way, apply the methodology in a consistent way so that you get a consistent output from it. And that's really been the the impetus behind certification to ensure that we're, we're all taking the same basic data, but then also applying it in the same consistent way. And so, you know, as, as you've experienced the certification process, and the impact to your customer base. would love to hear a little bit more about how that certification both sort of reinforces that stable foundation, but also gives you the chance to to then be nimble and flexible on top of it, like you mentioned. Sure, absolutely. I think our certification is the claims processing certification, meaning that we are certified to deploy Prometheus real-time during claims adjudication. Um, that was a process, I have to say. Um, we basically deconstructed the Prometheus logic and, and all of the metadata and configured it in our product. So um, we're not reusing something that is, has been produced by Change Health and disseminated out. We're actually like deconstructing it and reconstructing it into our product to make it match exactly what you expect from uh, as an output or an outcome. So uh, we did very deep into the Prometheus logic and to the individual codes because we're actually reconfiguring them in our product. Um, so in order for it to run real time during claims adjudication, that's how we've, we've married it with our, our product offering. So um, it allows us to get very, very much into the details and into the depths of, of the logic. And it certainly... Uh, it makes sense, and it is very thorough in its its code groupings and services that are are outlined. So, I can say being certified um, for real time claims processing has been a benefit to our product offering. Um, we actually have our Prometheus certification bag badge and our um, when we're at an industry conference and we have our banners and our signage, we have that certification badge, and it is very recognizable by industry leaders and payers that are, are at those conferences. Um, it, you know, it, it brings them to our table to talk about Prometheus, and, 
and if they're thinking about using it and what did we, we think about the logic and, and what goes into it. So it certainly is recognizable as a standard with the industry, and that's what we wanted, right? Um, I can call out something that's changed recently. I used to say to uh, prospective clients with us that we have Prometheus, but there's other some open source episodes out there sporadically in the industry, but those are, are not available any longer. So, um, and CMS doesn't expose exact code groups for their uh, demonstration pilot. So for a comprehensive source of, of episodes, I think Prometheus has the market cornered at this point. Um, the other open source Medicaid program definitions or other organization that was out there, I believe they've had to um, remove their definitions from being open source, probably because they had CPT codes and uh, it's not something that they wanted included in their AMA royalty fees. So um, there isn't a lot of, of information out there for payers to um, come up with episode definitions of their own or reuse something else that might have been in the industry before. So whereas there were sources before, those are, are drying up and they're not available any longer. So um, Prometheus Logic is really the most comprehensive out there and available to payers who are looking to really have a, an expansive value-based program and to, to move those needles dramatically with a, an episodic uh, contract and episode of care program. Yep. And Jennifer, as you mentioned, you know, Prometheus has really stood out as far as being able to to provide the foundational support for innovation going forward. And as we close out the conversation, maybe Kyle, I'll start with you and, and Jen ask you to weigh in as well. But as you see longer term industry adoption of value-based payment programs, again, whether they be retrospective or prospective bundles or total cost of care type programs, you know, who do you really see as the leaders out there, either as specific health plans or just, you know, the types of health plans that are out there that seem to have the right construction, the right people, the right model to really be ready to be successful here? And what are some of the, the challenges you see to innovation going forward that organizations are going to have to keep top of mind and overcome in order to be successful? So, you know, Kyle, I know you work with a lot of health plans out there. Where do you see the leaders materializing and where do you see some of the challenges that everyone needs to overcome to be successful? Um, sure. You know, I think Jen and I have both seen geographically or a region-based uh, programs, you know, whether they're small, medium or large, uh, you know, or very large. Um, it's, we, we've been seeing it a lot on the East Coast. Uh, and, and as well as the West Coast as well, you know, the, the upper West Pacific uh, along the coast in Washington and in California, we've seen uh, various uh, organizations materializing these value-based payment models and programs and doing them differently, but putting the key resources in place to make sure they're successful. You know, um, either one, you know, we've seen uh, folks who are very aggressive in using the analytics uh, derived from uh, using the Prometheus and identifying the areas of opportunity within their own community, within their own state, and then looking to go beyond that and laying the blueprint for others for the future in terms of where is this going 
uh, you know, I think it's folks like that who are really plans like that, who are carrying the torch uh, for the industry. And it's just a matter of when folks, you know, end up hearing about it and looking into it and, and even talking with them and trying to understand how it works. It's, it's extremely powerful. Um, you know, all, some plans will, you know, just go straight off of analytics. Uh, some do it a little bit differently. Some may have a steering committees and really be hands-on and be really be in, involved in, in the patient's care uh, as the journey starts at the beginning, making sure they are in um, good health or getting them to a, a better um, health standing uh, currently prior to a procedure to make sure, you know, not only to better themselves, but to also make sure that the episode of care goes well, you know, in the end and not and avoid complications, avoid readmissions, you know, avoid infections, anything like that. So it's very interesting, but, you know, that's where we're seeing uh, our plans or this type of program really spark up. It's been on the two coasts, <laughs> interestingly enough. Uh, Jen, do you have anything additional uh, you want to chime in on that? Sure. Um, a little bit of enigma because what I expected to happen did not happen at all. So, the large metropolitan areas were not advancing to prospective payment methodologies right out of the gate. They seem to be holding on to retrospective for several years. And then uh, regional statewide plans were jumping off the high dive into prospective contracting and being extremely successful right off the bat. So it was um, opposite of what I anticipated when I first started to look at the client base across and the payers across the country to see what they were doing. Um, I think everyone is starting with something predictable and very well-defined and shorter of a duration. So maternity, joint replacement, oncology seem to be the predominant episodes around the country. I am not seeing much at all of chronic conditions. I just... Um, no one that I've engaged with has really made it to that level of looking at just heart failure. They're, they're all focused on the bypass surgery or the, um, you know, acute exacerbation of, of CHF. So, um, it's really that the short-term episodes that are very well-defined, it seems to be the easiest one to go out and contract with. I hope eventually they'll get to more of the chronics and the longer terms, but they seem to be focused on those short-term gains. Um, I certainly recommend finding low-hanging fruit like the C-section rate with maternity. Um, that's a, an easy one to evaluate to see what is the, the C-section rate and if this type of contracting and risk transference would move the needle in the right direction for them. Um, but I think they're still pretty much looking at those predictable episodes that are more procedural, well-defined, shortened duration, um, I hope at some point, you know, they're starting to branch out to oncology and cardiac. So I would, you know, I, I'd like to see the industry move more toward the longer term chronic episodes, but they seem to be pretty focused on the procedurals at this point and, and maternity. Um, the challenges I think we talked about in the first part and this part is really just how to get started and what episode definition to use. Certainly Prometheus will solve that that piece of the, the dilemma and how to get started and operationalizing the episode, the care and the automation that it takes because any manual program that is um, not automated in its administration is a heavy lift within a health plan operation. And 
no matter what savings you're going to get, if you have to offset that with the increased resources to handle it manually, you've, you've uh, really diluted your savings and your improvement in what you've been able to achieve. So, I mean, having the data, having the automation, and having a well-defined program really seems to be the key to success, along with having the resources internally that are the champions of this type of methodology. It is, I, I caution everyone I talk with, this is not another payment methodology. This is not just how you pay claims. Um, this has to be a change in the, in the delivery of care and how it's delivered and, and how you're contracting and how you're rewarding providers for um, being very efficient and how they deliver care and, and reimagining outside of a fee-for-service mentality where I have to generate codes to generate revenue. Um, it's really a wonderful opportunity for healthcare providers to reimagine how they deliver care um, because they don't have the burden of generating revenue to cover their practice. They, they already have the payment coming to them. Now, what are they going to do with that payment to make the best outcome for the patient possible? Um, anytime you coordinate care at a higher level and orchestrate care, and have higher touch points, you're going to have better outcomes, especially in our senior communities, because the fragmentation of the care delivery model that, that happens in a fee-for-service environment is, is just a scary, scary place for the patient to be when they're having a severe medical event that's going on. They don't know who's showing up. They don't know which doctor they're seeing or what other services they need. Having all of that care be so well-coordinated um, is truly one of the main benefits I like to highlight in this type of program. And from an operational you, uh, perspective as well, just to add in, I, something that we, we often have seen as well is, that I don't want to overlook, is the uh, leadership buy-in at a lot of organizations on both sides in the internal stakeholders. You know, a, a lot, again, you know, as Jen said, this requires a complete change in your approach, which part of that is, it's also been talked about in these two parts, is the ability to transition from mentality around a fee-for-service to fee-for-value and focusing on the patient outcome and knowing, you know, that the benefits will be there financially. It's just going to be an incremental journey. And once you get your, your legs underneath of you in a program, you know, we've seen, you know, many plans have great success once that happens. And, you know, they're off and running uh, extremely well and expanding at a, a very nice clip each year. Yeah, you know, Kyle, I think that's a great way to put it. You both really outline, you know, there's a, a journey to be had here over the next several years. At the same time, there is a, a path, there is a, a plan for, for payers and providers to follow, and you know, in particular, following that data-driven, analytics, insight-driven path, you know, really does provide the opportunity to be successful. As you both mentioned, it doesn't happen overnight, but it, it certainly can, and hopefully, will happen across the industry. So, with that, I think you know, for our audience, appreciate you all taking the time to join us today, Jennifer, Kyle. Thank you so much for for sharing your insights and your experience. And especially there, I, I think for giving us at the end there the opportunity to understand the path forward, how we continue this journey together successfully, you know, using some of the, the core standards like Prometheus, using some of the insights and analytics driven by networks and data, 
there really is an opportunity for all those across the industry who want to see change, who want to drive change, to make that happen, to see innovation become reality. So with that, you know, appreciate the audience joining us today. If you have any questions or interested in further information, please reach out to Jennifer and Kyle at Cognizant with the network's product. And if there's any questions regarding Prometheus or further interest, again, please reach out to me and Change Healthcare, and we're certainly happy to engage with anyone and everyone who's interested in any further information or discussion here. So with that said, you know, everyone have a, a good day. And until next time, Kyle and Jennifer, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes for more information on today's topic. Insight, innovation, transformation. Learn more at changehealthcare.com.